You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation, and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view, the people who work in the prison system would have another, and I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick, and check out Doin' Time for news, views, and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio 855am on the dial streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa, and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And before I get into the broadcast, just a special cheerio to Rob and Peter, who can't be here for the show. And the Do and Time show, along with many other shows at 3CR, are operating remotely at the moment because of Stage 4 restrictions. And indeed, the Do and Time show has provided ongoing coverage in regards to, in particular, COVID-19 and um, the public health crisis, prisons and police powers. Today on the show, we're going to be having a very special broadcast and it's about protest, repression and the law. And I'm going to be interviewing... A few people. Um, first up, we're going to be speaking with Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective, who is going to be a speaker at an event organised by Melbourne Activist Legal Support. And this this is actually a panel discussion that's going to be happening this Thursday, and I'll give you some details later on about that. Basically, Melbourne Activist Legal Support is going to be presenting a series of public panels and trainings. And this is because um, the the right to protest has been seriously eroded eroded during um, COVID-19. Melbourne Activist Legal Support is pleased to present a series of online events as a belated part of Law Week entitled... 2020, entitled Protest, Repression and the Law. Basically, the year 2020 has seen a surge of civic activity at the same time as governments struggle to enforce lockdowns to prevent COVID transmission. And in Victoria, this tension between the right to protest and the power of the state, particularly during an emergency, have been brought to the fore. Basically, there's an invitation for listeners to join the webinars and community trainings to discuss a right to protest, which is on Thursday, the 27th of August, 1 to 2 p.m. Virtual discussion on the right to protest and the Victorian Charter featuring Dr. Maria O'Sullivan, Monash, Michael Stanton, Barrister, and Chris Breen, refugee activist and branch counsellor and teacher. So we'll be speaking with him about that, and I'll have a look. We'll have a look at the second event later on, because after that we'll be speaking with Tom Batsaby, who's a defence barrister who had volunteered with Melbourne Activist Legal Support and is still volunteering with them, and he's attended several events as a Mel's legal observer, including the IMARC blockade in October last year, where he witnessed significant acts of police violence. And he's presenting a discussion panel with Chris Breen later this week on Thursday as part of a series of Law Week events hosted by MELS. So we'll be speaking with Tom later on. And for now, 
let's cross over now to Chris Breen, who who will give us some information not only about the, the event, but also why he will be speaking. You're listening to Radical Radio 3CR. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. Tune in to Done By Law. An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives. Done By Law. 6pm Tuesdays. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And on the line now, we've got Chris Breen from the Refugee Action Collective. Hello, Chris. Welcome to the program. Hello, Marissa. Thanks for having me on. Lovely to have you. Just to clarify your role in the Victorian as a Victorian branch councillor, Chris, can you just clarify mm. that for listeners? Uh, the Australian Education Union has um, a, a structure which has a branch council of around uh, 100 uh, people. I'm one of the elected representatives on that. Um, you know, there are elections that happen uh, every, what was it, two years? Um, I'm certainly not speaking on behalf of the no, Australian of Education not. Union. No, 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 um, I'm just reading I'm... out your bio and I just, yeah. there was just, so um, I just wanted uh, so to, it's, to clarify it's, it's, that. It's, it's a rank-and-file elected union position Lovely. that has input into union uh, decisions. Good on you, Chris. Okay, so we obviously need to be extremely careful here the way we proceed because we have to be careful of contempt of court um, because you, there's a court date coming up for you in August, isn't there? But in uh, fact, we're doing... September, yeah. September 29th now, yep. September 29th? So, yep. you know, there's no reason why we can't actually talk about that court date later on but I was just we'll speak in very general terms but the Do and Time show has actually done extensive coverage um, about this situation and Chris before we we actually get get talking about the event that you're going to be involved in I just wanted to Mm. alert listeners to the fact that earlier this year several people were fined for breaching COVID-19 restrictions whilst protesting, and they were protesting against the serious mistreatment of refugees and asylum seekers in Mantra Hotels in Victoria and the heightened risk surrounding COVID-19 for those detained. Would you say that's a fair enough, a fair enough summary? Uh, yes, there were 30 refugee supporters in a car convoy who were charged yes. to find $1,652 each, $50,000 in total, um, you know, it was complying with the spirit of the legislation. Uh, and I, I wasn't actually at that event. I was charged with incitement for being one of the organisers. Incitement for being one of the organisers? Yes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to talk about that later. So can you talk a little bit about the... The evolving climate surrounding protesting under COVID-19 restrictions. Sure, I mean that, that's what the forum you mentioned. I'm speaking on lunch break is um, uh, about. That, that's what the forum is about. Um, yes. The I think it's increasingly clear that COVID-19 has been used as an excuse to crack down on the right to protest. So in Queensland, I think it was a week ago. Uh, we saw there was going to be a protest on uh, Story Bridge for the Kangaroo Point uh, refugees. And the government went to the Supreme Court to try and uh, ban that protest. This is at the same time there'd been no cases um, for several days in Queensland. And when the, um, you know, they're allowed to have 10,000 people at, at rugby stadiums. Uh, so there is, you know, incredible hypocrisy. Um, similarly, in New South Wales, uh, refugee and Black Lives Matter protests have been uh, banned. And again, there's 5,000, I think it's allowed. In the, the grand final, the NRL has just asked for permission to go from 10 to 50,000. You know, so... Um, and in Melbourne, um, 
you know, there is, uh, the, I mean, the Black Lives Matter protesters here were fined. Uh, we were fined. Unions have been fined. The CFMEU has been fined uh, for for taking various uh, forms of protest. And I think it's fairly clear now that it's not uh, protest that is the spreader of COVID-19. Uh, uh, there's no evidence of any spread from the, the big Black Lives Matter protests here, uh, nor in the United States is there any evidence that they, they caused um, any spike. It's not outdoors. Uh, it's not so there's zero risk, but it's not outdoors. It's We know it's indoors at close um, and confinement for long periods of time. So it's, you know, places like abattoirs and aged care homes. And, uh, you know, abattoirs in Victoria are staying open. We've seen 200 people with the, the mask singer staying open, but no form of protest um, is allowed. And to be able to deal with some of the issues even that COVID-19 throws up, you know, for instance, the ACTU's called for paid pandemic leave for all because we've had an issue with casual workers having to make a choice between income and going to work with some uh, symptoms. And how else are we going to win that pandemic leave except through protests and um, industrial action? So, you know, we think when the marketplace is open, the public square should be open, there should be a right to protest uh, every single day. Scott Morrison, Peter, Peter Dutton, their voices are not shut down in the media, but protest is one of the ways, well, it's probably the key way that refugees get their voice into the media. Uh, there's been protest inside the detention centres and, you know, we think it's important in whatever way can be safely done to protest not to leave refugees on their own, not to leave them without um, solidarity. And can you just talk about the event on Thursday that you're going to be a part of and uh, why, you, why you're going? Um, I, I'm going because I was asked at one level, uh, but I'm going because I think the right to protest is incredibly important. Um, if you look at the, the victories that we've had in the refugee movement, you know, not nearly enough, uh, but they wouldn't have been possible without protest. Uh, you look at the, the campaign to get um, kids off all off Nauru that did bring kids and families off. It was mass protest. Teachers took industrial action. If you look at the Let Them Stay campaign that stopped Baby Asher being sent back to Nauru, again, it was um, a mass protest, a union blockade of the Lady Salento Hospital. Uh, so I, I think there is an incredible importance to uh, the right to protest. And political decisions are being made by our leaders all the time about what they think is essential, what is not essential. These are negotiations with employers. And uh, we can't, I think, you know, surrender the right to protest um, indefinitely. There are safe, socially distanced ways uh, to, to protest. Absolutely there are, and this is what needs to be talked about because often that's not talked about in the media. Can you describe what, how people can social distance when they're protesting? Well, there's different ways depending on the, the circumstances, the, you know, the, the, the laws, the, the political situation. Uh, so our protest, for instance, the refugee action one, was a car convoy had no more than two people per car, only from the same house. People didn't get out of their cars, um, you know, so it's it's hard to see how that was any um, particular uh, threat to safety. Uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter protest here, I wasn't involved in that, but they made sure that everybody wore masks. Uh, they tried to enforce social distancing. They had hand sanitizer. They called on the state government to help them in, in that respect. I, I don't think they got they the answer didn't. from the state government. Um, but, you know, when Prime Minister Scott Morrison can appear in crowds at an NRL, NRL match and thousands are allowed there, you know, to say that protest is the problem is, you know, I think, uh, to be honest, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, it is absolutely it's, ridiculous. So it's there's going the, to be a number of... Go on. No, I was just going to say, it's been the casualised neoliberal economy here which has led to the outbreaks of COVID-19. We've seen in the Ooh, you know, quarantine okay. hotels. Can you expand on that? Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, we've seen the poorly paid security guards, privatised, subcontracted, working 12-hour shifts, not getting much equipment, working at the um, 
the, the quarantine hotels. It's been very similar conditions in aged care. And again, to address these things, you need protest or industrial action. Um, I mean, interestingly, in, in publicly owned uh, Victorian nursing uh, aged care centres where there's a nurse-to-patient ratios of 1 to 15 and permanent uh, workforce, there's been hardly any uh, COVID outbreak. And so there, there, there does need even to uh, address, whether it's to address refugee rights or it's to address things to do with the, um, the, the pandemic itself, um, I mean, if you look at somewhere like Belarus at the moment, hundreds of thousands of people protesting in the street against a effective dictator who says that COVID-19 is a psychosis, you know, it doesn't exist. To to deal with COVID-19, you need, you need that protest over there. So obviously there's different circumstances in different places. And we're saying here, like our protest was to draw attention to the real risk of COVID-19 spreading through like wildfire through detention centres. We know at the Mantra Hotel there's been a guard who's been tested positive to um, COVID-19. We've seen the outbreak at youth detention in Brisbane, which has seen you know young kids locked in solitary in their room. Um, interestingly now, well, not interestingly, sort of disgracefully, the Morrison government has reopened Christmas Island. But the reason they've done that is to free up space in Perth if they need to move people in case of a COVID-19 outbreak from you know Melbourne or Brisbane. Um, now that's no solution. The solution is to free people like medical professionals and you know advocates yes. have been calling for. But the fact that Morrison government has even acknowledged that this is a risk to refugees is because people have drawn attention to it again and again. The refugees themselves and protesters, you know, particularly in Brisbane, there's been wall-to-wall media coverage of the Kangaroo Point protests. Uh, it hasn't been so much down here, but it, it's because of those protests that that coverage wouldn't have happened without the the protests, you know. And if the state governments wanted to give us a voice in the media, um, you know, we can we can go and have a negotiation, but they're not about to do that. That's exactly right, and you're absolutely correct, Chris. It is disgraceful that they've opened Christmas Island, and thank you for mentioning that. And also, this is something that, as a radio broadcaster, that I've been saying all along, on air and off air that COVID-19, particularly in Victoria and now in, in Queensland as well, has, has spread because of insecure work and, and the quarantine, the breach of uh, the quarantine. Yes, and again, it's, it's something that, you know, uh, unions have traditionally used both protest and industrial action to try and deal with those, those sorts of um, issues. Um, and you know, to 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 simply avoid that. I mean, the you know, Daniel Andrews said debate about casualisation can wait. It can't. It's been part of no. the reason that COVID nineteen has been spreading. And so, the, the, I mean, the problem is protest is being cracked down on, but where COVID is actually being spread, there is no action being taken. So we're not getting mass workplace testing. We're not getting workplaces redesigned. We're not getting pandemic leave. We're not getting you know nationalised aged care. Uh, we're, we're not getting, uh, you know, the properly resourced uh, quarantine, uh, contact tracing, um, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's not protest, which is the, the problem. Uh, yeah, there certainly isn't proper contact tracing, is there? Uh, no, like, um, you know, I'm a teacher. I certainly know of people in schools where there have been positive cases and, uh, you know, teachers have talked about um, contacts not being uh, called for a week, uh, people who are asymptomatic asking to get tested, not being able to. Um, you know, it's, yeah. Chris, it's, it's really great that you've been able to talk about the background to COVID-19 and not only to discuss the right to protest and how that's being eroded, but also looking at the pandemic as a whole and how all the breaches and the lack of resources and the lack of coordination and competence, government incompetence, has been, hi- has been highlighted and exposed. So yeah. let's... Because I think, just, I think even, uh, yeah. even when, you know, cases yeah. drop again and, you know, uh, I, I, it's not like governments are opening up the right to protest. That's something that's going to have to be won and fought for. You know, you look in, in Queensland where cases dropped to very, very low or to zero uh, for weeks, you know, the, the 
right to protest was still coming under attack. In New South Wales, where there wasn't community transmission, the right to protest was still coming under attack. It's, you know, there, it's, it, I don't think that people should think that once the pandemic is gone, rights that are taken away are simply handed back to us on a plate. I'm not going to be staying locked in my home forever. Believe me, I'm going back out there to record. I'll wear a mask and I'll bring sanitizer. And if the police have got something to say about that, they can talk. Talk to me. Because as a radio broadcaster, I'm not going to just sit here and do interviews and not do any, any off-site recording. What's the point? Yeah, well, I mean, again, there are exemptions for the media at the moment. You know, they always say on the news, media doesn't have to wear masks. Uh, I don't know if 3CR is covered by those exemptions, but... Um... Not sure. I'd have to... <laughs> I'd have to actually look into that to see if community radio... Actually, that's an interesting point, actually. It's approximately 4.20, and we're going to be interviewing Tom um, pretty soon in, in regards to the whole series of panels that are going to be happening, Tom Battersea. But um, I'm wondering, like, are there any final comments and could you just quickly um, mention when the event is on, Chris, where you'll be speaking? Uh, the event is um, on... It's uh, 1 o'clock uh, this Thursday. Uh, if you um, look for a right to protest or Melbourne activist legal support on Facebook, you'll find it. It starts at one. I won't be there till a little bit after. Um, and for people interested, my court case, uh, the contest mentioned on September 29th, uh, there will be a rally, whether online or um, otherwise, depending on the current uh, restrictions at the time. Um, and that, if you go to the Refugee Action Collective website on Facebook you can find the details of uh, that event as well. So it's calling to free the refugees uh, and defend the right to protest. And, you know, I should mention that it's been over seven years now and refugees held in the Mantra and Kangaroo Point uh, are still detained. These are people who came here for medical treatment. They're vulnerable. Um, these, you know, th there is no reason to... Um, even without COVID, there's no reason to keep them locked up in detention. It is destroying people. Um, it, it's, it's a crime. It is a crime, and we look forward. Um, I do encourage listeners to go and, and participate in this online event, um, and as well as Chris, um, Chris Breen being a, speak, a speaker. The event also features Dr Maria O'Sullivan Monash, Michael Stanton Barrister um, as well. And I'll be continuing this discussion with Tom Battersea very soon to discuss the series of panels and perhaps even to talk about the charge of incitement to riot. Um, when's your, you know, what that means in practice? First of I, all... I, I, can say, yeah. I can say one, one thing about the, the incitement charge. Yes. Uh, nothing to do with any of the legals. It's, uh, sure. It is a worrying um, precedent. Like, if the, if the charge against... Uh, the last time incitement was used was against the Odd 35 in 1992, and that charge, they were found not guilty. Um, if the charge against me is, uh, you know, proven, it carries all sorts of advocate. Uh, um, implications for you know climate protests for uh, union union protests. Um, you know at the moment there's a very narrow window of, it, of um, that unions can legally take industrial action. Um, you can imagine if a union called it outside of that, they'd be liable for a charge of incitement. It's a it's a very dangerous precedent. Absolutely, it is. And when's the court case, and where is it? Uh, so it's a it's a contest uh, mention, which is one of the steps on the way to a full hearing. It's September 29th at the Magistrates Court. Uh, we're having a rally at 8:30 a.m. It may be online. Um, the full hearing won't be for some time after that. Um, hopefully this year, but we'll we'll see. Chris Green, keep keep up the good work, and if people wish to register. For the event, they can also go to www. My God, where's the website here? www.melbactivistlegal.org.au and go to the Get Involved page for upcoming events. Yeah. and you know, thanks to Mel for putting on the forum. It's 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 very important at this this point in time. 
it's absolutely crucial. Thanks so much, Chris. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. We have seen record numbers of protests in Latin America recently, explicitly calling for an appropriate response to the pandemic, alongside the protection of healthcare workers and social and economic welfare for the population. Ecuador, Brazil, Bolivia and Chile have all grown increasingly feeble in their justifications for both a lack of action against coronavirus as well as their increasingly authoritarian behaviour. Suffice to say, the Latin American right is being undone by its contempt for public healthcare. Its contempt for an essential human right. And with their traditional backer, the USA, embroiled in its own pandemic nightmare, the kleptocrats, religious zealots and maniacs leading Latin America's right wing are now on their own, it seems. And the region's people, from all available evidence, are perfectly aware of this fact. And their actions against this public health and political emergency are becoming all the more radical. After all, it is a matter of life and death, as it has always been in Latin America. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 855 AM on digital and online. 3CR Radical Radio. Hi everyone, my name's Robbie Thorpe. I'm with 3CR Community Radio. Every year we have a subscription drive. It's a way of supporting our organisation maintain itself through the year and we rely on the support of the the community. One way to do that is to subscribe and become a member, become part of this organisation itself. Get in contact with 3CR, you can go to the website 3cr.org.au or you can ring on 9419 3CR ensures that our voices, Aboriginal voices are heard on this radio station so it's a good way of supporting Aboriginal people as well by becoming a subscriber for 3CR Community Radio. COVID-19 is a sickness that can spread from person to person. It can be dangerous, especially for our elders or people who are already unwell. We can all help stop the spread in our communities. Cover a cough with the inside of your elbow instead of your hand. Wash your hands with soap for at least 20 seconds after you cough or sneeze. Go to the toilet and before you make any food. Keep away from people who are sick, coughing or sneezing. Avoid going to places where there are lots of people. At this time, it is best to stay at home and away from other people as much as we can. If you're feeling unwell, have a fever, cough or sore throat, or worried about someone else, phone your doctor, clinic or medical service right away for advice. It is important to stay connected and strong as a community and keep our mob safe. Visit health.gov.au or your local health service for more information. Authorised by the Australian Government, Canberra. A 3CR supporter. And you're back with the Do and Time show. And we're going to be speaking presently with Tom Battersea, who is a defence barrister who had volunteers did with Melbourne Activist Legal Support. He has attended several events as a Mel's legal observer, including the IMARC blockade in October last year, where he witnessed significant acts of police violence. He's presenting a discussion panel with Chris Breen later this week as part of a series of Law Week events hosted by Mel's. Hello, Tom. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Marisa. Thanks for having me on. It's lovely to have you. Tom, we were just speaking with Chris about a range of issues, in particular in regards to the right to protest and looking at some of the the online events that are coming up. Could you just talk to us about what MELS is and why MELS has organised these events? Absolutely. So um, MELS is uh, sort of a collective, I suppose. It's Melbourne Activist Legal Support. Um, And basically what we are is a, a... small-ish organisation that basically is dedicated to the right to preserving those those political spaces where people can um, take a stand, whether it's being a public demonstration where they're um, uh, sort of peaceful, non-violent sort of gathering of, of people in public spaces um, or, or other avenues. So we do a number of things. We provide uh, probably we're best known for the pink vests that some of your mis- listeners may have seen um, 
at protests. So we go along to events where we're invited um, to observe, I suppose, interactions between police uh, organisers and other groups that may be present. Uh, we also uh, often uh, provide follow-up reports uh, in relation to those events uh, where we make statements of concern uh, if we've seen particular behaviour that we think is uh, is uh, inappropriate, uh, particularly from police. Um, and we also um, have broader reports. So we, we prepared uh, or published a fairly... Um, detailed report regarding the hard lockdown at the tower blocks in Flemington and North Melbourne uh, recently. Oh, the, the, when, when there, were, there were lockdowns in the towers, what was the role of, of MELS for that? Yes, so we had observers present there um, and we uh, were able to provide a report uh, following that lockdown um, describing, I suppose, uh, what was observed by MELS um, in terms of which services were interacting, um, I think there were about 500 police uh, deployed there, uh, but essentially what you had was a situation where all of those residents in the towers were given um, no notice that they were suddenly under house arrest, and certainly there are policy reasons, I suppose, why the state government thought they had to do that, uh, but MELS really, I suppose, took issue um, with how that was enforced in terms of deploying 500 police um, to those towers, which have a long history in a, of themselves of, of being over-policed. Um, and also the way that particular services were able to function to support those residents during the lockdown, which was, um, uh, I suppose, uh, what was put in place was not effective and residents were denied uh, medication or, or food, culturally appropriate food, uh, those sorts of issues. So that report's been published on our website um, and it's available to, to anyone who wishes to read it. And what is the website? It's, um, it's called... Oh, sorry, the website is melbactivistlegal.org.au. Um, so if anyone Googles uh, Melbourne Activist Legal Support, um, it should come up as the first result. We're certainly... Um, an open organisation. So any listeners who might be um, interested, certainly you're invited to look at our website and some publications, but certainly we also have uh, monthly meetings that are open for anyone wishing to get involved. Um, one thing that we do, sorry, I should have said that um, is really integral, uh, is sort of training, I suppose. Um, so training in terms of attendees at uh, public demonstrations, um, to know what rights they have when interacting with police, what, what rights they have as, as members of the community here. We offer trainings for people who wish to be legal observers, so sort of don the pink vest, hold a camera, um, observe police, uh, Victoria Police interacting with members of the public or, or other groups that may be present, such as far-right provocateurs and so on. So we, op we hold open trainings for people who wish to do that as well. Um, and then uh, more advanced trainings to coordinate those teams who are providing that, that support um, on the day of, of an event. Thank you so much for, for giving listeners a very concise explanation and, and you're a volunteer with MELS. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're all volunteers. We have um, a number of supporters through a... Um, um, recurring funding, so we're certainly very grateful for, for some of the support that we've got from the community. And the feedback we often have from organisers is that our presence at those events is often helpful. Sometimes we'll be present, we'll get questions from people who are protesting saying basic things like, am I allowed to take photographs of police? Am I allowed to ask them their names? Um, questions about what police powers are in terms of moving them on. Um, some of the really basic work we do, I suppose, is just helping people understand that they do have a right to protest. Um, so some people are worried that it'll put their jobs at risk, put their livelihoods at risk if they get out there and they're marching in the streets and they think they'll be um, locked up and um, uh, lose, lose their um, rights, I suppose, they ordinarily enjoy as citizens. So we just offer very basic, I suppose, information about um, that, that right to peaceful assembly, um, which can be empowering um, for some groups who, who, who have concerns. Um, one of the recent trainings we did that was really positive was with uh, an organisation called the Muslim Legal Network, which has a lot of um, young uh, law students uh, who are members. Um, 
and uh, many of the members had witnessed, I suppose, uh, racialized policing where they'd felt that they'd been approached because of, of the way they look, or um, many of the members had concerns, particularly given what they were studying, that if they were to attend a protest, many of them wanted to attend the Black Lives Matter rally held earlier this year, but um, felt like they might be putting their future career at risk uh, by doing so if they were arrested, particularly given the health directions that were were in force. So we were able to just have a very general session about that being a, a human right and certainly a right that's enshrined um, in Victoria. And then also, I suppose, an awareness that often uh, when you're dealing with police, it's a very fluid situation and it's very difficult to um, control and sort of just a general discussion of how people might try and defuse those interactions while still um, being aware of, of what rights they have. And the Charter of Human Rights would definitely be relevant here, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Um, so we're really excited to have Chris uh, Breen speaking on Thursday uh, for this online event. Uh, so he's fantastic uh, uh, and you know certainly is aware of the rights he has and exercises those to good effect. Um, but we also have, a, I suppose, a more legalese uh, or legalistic perspective. Um, we've got Dr. Maria O'Sullivan, who's a um, an academic at uh, Monash University, um, and she, oh, sorry, she's a senior lecturer. Um, and she uh, is the author of a number of international and national publications on the subjects of human rights, public law and refugee law. Uh, and, and we also have a barrister, uh, Michael Stanton, who works with Liberty Victoria, um, and he's appeared in a number of notable uh, cases in the Supreme Court here and has a master in, master's in human rights law. So I guess we try and really bridge the theory before those, between those sort of more technical sides of what rights we have on paper and then what rights we have in reality when you've been stopped by an officer who tells you that you're placing the community at risk by driving um, a car with toilet paper to people who need it. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And so so this event will be this Thursday, the 27th of August? That's right, at 1pm. There's an Eventbrite page um, that has been... Um, sent around. There's a, probably the easiest way if people are listening out there and they're interested in attending. Um, we've got a Facebook page. Um, we're still on Facebook. It's an easy way to organise, I suppose. Um, and there's a Facebook event um, that they can find if they search for the Melbourne Activist Legal Support page. That should come up and there's a link to um, the Eventbrite page where they can register their details. We'll send out a, a Zoom invite and... Um, Basically, uh, the same as you, Marisa, I'm going to just try and get people like Chris and Michael and Maria to talk about those issues um, yes. and sort of, I guess, try and get uh, across to any participants who are interested, you know, what their rights are and, and how those sort of layers of legislation and police powers interact, particularly during this very weird time of COVID-19. It is very weird indeed. And I was just talking to Chris Previous, previous to you about COVID-19 and about how the public health regulations are really giving police more impetus, if you like, to to charge people during protests. Mm. Yeah, it's um, it's a very weird time. It's a state of emergency, and we know historically how um, state power can be abused during those sort of exceptional times. Um, certainly. There's, uh, Mal's takes no issue with the need for a strong health response. I think most people would accept that, um, you know, at this point uh, we depend on the government to sort of look after our aware welfare to some extent. But I guess it's how you how you do that and what sort of tools you use. And um, we've seen a very, um, I suppose, police-focused response to, to the pandemic um, where it's really been those, those enforcements, those infringements, and um, people like Chris have sort of been made an example of charges like um, incitement, which is a very... Um, it's a strange charge for police to use, saying someone's... It's the kind of charge you use when someone's organising a terrorist event or something like that. Certainly not a peaceful protest just to express care um, to, to a marginalised group. So it's, it's very odd to see 
Victoria Police take that approach and it's it's hard to know if that's something, I suppose, where that approach originates, if it's the state government thinking that this is, is how you communicate with people or if it's um, delegation of responsibility to a police force that doesn't uh, quite know how to communicate or, or um, interact in a compassionate and helpful um, manner with the community. So the charge of incitement, can you just let listeners know what that means? Basically, Chris was taken out, uh, was, was raided, and then he was arrested even before the protest began and taken to the police station, held there for many hours, and his computer was seized. So yeah. with, with I, the incitement charge, what does that actually mean? So what that means is that you're inciting other people to, to commit an offence. Uh, so police are basically saying that you can have committed an offence by encouraging someone to, to commit an offence. Um, so there are sort of different elements to the charge, but I guess what they're alleging is, um, you know, they've got to be able to prove that um, the actions of one person incited another to commit an offence. And in this case, they'd say, well, that's the offence of breaching the chief health officer's directions. Um, and they have to then prove that the, the person who's incited the other intended for them to go out and do it. Um, so you, there are so many things that could be covered by this offence. It's a very nebul nebulous sort of charge that could um, cover all sorts of conversations that might happen ordinarily. I suppose what the police will rely on is, is uh, a digital trail or organisational trail where someone's... Even if you created a Facebook event... Um, they might say, oh, well, that's inciting people to do this. But I understand in Chris's case that police have gone out, raided his home, seized his son's computer and so on, which uh, seems like a very strange thing to do uh, to someone who's organising a peaceful protest, um, you know, to express uh, care and concern for a marginalised group. It's, it's hard to understand what the rationale would have been at an operational level for that. And it, to some extent... Uh, it's kind of characteristic of what we often see, um, which is, is really an unhelpful and inappropriate response to to um, somebody's civil rights, I suppose, in terms of expressing concern as a citizen. So I, I, I'm not sure, and um, I don't know what Chris um, Breen will do in relation to his charges, and I'm not sure if he'd even want to talk about it publicly, but uh, certainly many groups... Um, Mal's Liberty Victoria, um, other groups um, have expressed concern about that charge being used. I understand it was previously um, used um, in relation to the Max Brenner um, protest that took place yes. uh, and was successfully challenged in the magistrate's court. Um, so I'm not sure. Perhaps police will rely on, on the extraordinary nature of, of COVID-19 times to, to say that this is a different type of case, but it may well be that they suffer another defeat um, if, the, if the charge is indeed contested. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's a bizarre thing for... Uh, certainly, well, um, I don't want to speak on behalf of Mel's, but, you know, certainly personally I don't understand sure. why you would lay that charge to someone in that situation. It certainly seems like an inappropriate police response... Um, and um, it will be really interesting to see how it plays out in court. And certainly that's one of the things I'll be asking our presenters on, on Thursday. Absolutely. And this, and as Chris said at the end, of the, the end of the interview, previous to you, this could set a very dangerous precedent. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I can think of so many situations where just a very harmless conversation or an online interaction would satisfy the, the elements of incitement. It's such a vague and nebulous charge. It's almost like pre, it's almost like a pre-crime. Um, yeah. And it's, it's you know the the, the offence sort of comes into uh, effect because, I suppose, governments are so worried about terrorist offences and bombings and and that sort of activity where um, people are going out of their way to cause huge amounts of harm to other members of the community. But that's, uh, it's really black and white in terms of the situation that Chris is in, where he's going out of his way to express care and concern and, and compassion to other members of the community um, who have in extremely difficult circumstances. It's, um, it's 
Without wishing to, spe- to speculate, uh, I mean, this, this incitement charge appears to have absolutely nothing to do with the public health regulations and it appears that there's an interesting parallel to the Patriot Act in America where um, a lot of those charges were laid in a different guise, of course, but look, looking at, you know, this guilty by association and, and you know, pitting people against each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's really got a chilling effect on, on um, community groups who might want to yes. um, organise and do these things. And, you know, it's... I'm reluctant to speculate too, but you sort of think, well, that's the in- intent, you know, this sort of general deterrent to people, you know, who might be thinking about doing the same sort of thing. Um, and you sort of think, well, that's got to be part of the calculation in, in not only having laws like that, but also uh, charging people with those offences. So um, it's it's interesting to see, I suppose, how not only at those events are people policed, but also sort of general approach to, to discouraging those sorts of events and um, creating a, a social environment where, where people do feel like they, they can't go um, and do that sort of thing or can't take to the streets or can't organise um, some sort of community event to, to um, get across a concerned about a particular issue or, or wanting to express sort of care to a, to a marginalised group. That's so exactly right. There's an interesting project um, by the uh, Flemington Kensington Community Legal Centre um, looking at sort of COVID-19 policing and sort of those... Um, that fact of sort of police repression of that sort of activity and mapping the different um, repression that takes place in particular communities in terms of how those activities are discouraged or policed. Um, so certainly if listeners um, wish to sort of follow up on that, there's a, a website, COVID-19 Policing. Um, sorry, it's called, it's covidpolicing.org.au. And that's oh, a this really is where people resource. report what happens to them when they're gone? Yeah, Absolutely, and it's sort of fed into particular community legal centres um, so that we can get a clearer picture because uh, Victoria has been really um, slow in releasing details about who's been issued infringements um, and why, um, but sadly we've seen um, same sort of trends as you see in lots of uh, social issues play out, particularly in... Uh, well, we know what happened in New South Wales because the data was released there, but we saw a high rate of infection in sort of at least early on in wealthier suburbs towards the east, um, but then the, the majority of infringements were, were issued in poorest, poorer western suburbs, um, which um, have been you know traditionally over-policed. And I suspect we would have seen the same trend in Victoria, but we just don't have that um, data to be able to say... Um, but certainly what that would suggest is that police are sort of going out there and targeting groups that they think they can discourage from particular activity or at least, um, I suppose, really um, using a lot more um, of the stick rather than the carrot in, in trying to influence people's behaviour depending on where they fall in terms of socioeconomic um, strata and, and how empowered they are as particular groups. Yes, and by the same token, no-one is suggesting that the pandemic isn't real. We, we know no. that we have to be safe and we know that there do need to be public health measures put in place. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's not what's being said at all, is it? No, I, I, I was made aware, funnily enough, that um, there's a sovereign citizen's Bible um, called Know Your Rights, which we have... You know, we don't have anything to do with the sovereign citizens movement. And personally, I've seen some very concerning videos where people are just refusing to wear masks um, and having sort of disregard to other people's health and well-being because they feel like the state um, is oppressing them. And, you know, for the most part, it looks like those sorts of interactions speak to someone's privilege of not having previously had to deal with any sort of, um, I suppose, enforcement of regulations. but, yeah, MELS has nothing to do with that sort of sovereign citizens approach. The, the pandemic is real. It's important that the government um, uh, organise a response that keeps us all safe. And, you know, it's encouraging 
to see that that's happening to some degree, but um, it is strange to see people out there in the community asserting that their human rights are being infringed when all they're being asked to do is take some simple measures to reduce the risk they pose to other members of the community. And yet um, anti-lockdown protests are allowed to happen. Yes, it is really interesting to see the disparity in the response, particularly in the media as well. People have tried to frame the, the I think, um, the Herald Sun tried to frame the Black Lives Matter protest as the origin of, of the second wave outbreaks. Yeah. And what the chief health officer said is that's categorically untrue. But I've not once seen um, that sort of... A narrative in the media about the anti-lockdown protests that have continued to be ongoing in the community. So you, you really sort of see, I suppose, some political angle that sort of plays out in the narratives that we see about this in the media. But Mal's um, certainly wasn't present. Um, you know, we haven't been present at any of the anti-lockdown um, events. I doubt we'd be invited. Um, and, and certainly... <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, we also, I suppose, would have significant concerns about attending what events where it's hard to see uh, any, I suppose, harm being done to, to members of the community. It's hard to see any marginalised groups who have been affected. Uh, it's hard to see any political space that's being unfairly restricted. But it is it is an interesting time politically, you know, um, where that we're sort of relying on the government to take care of us, but still asking it to do that in a in a compassionate and fair way that doesn't um, result in, I suppose, over-policing or police violence directed to vulnerable members of the community. Absolutely. And I believe there's also a second event that MELS is organising defend, called Defending Protest, and that's on yes. the 11th of September, Friday 1 till 2. Is that right? Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I've had a little less to do with that, but we've got um, a really... Um, so the first uh, event is called A Right to Protest. Um, so that's uh, this Thursday um, at 1pm on the, August the 27th. And then we've also got a second event um, that will be hosted um, by a colleague of mine, Jennifer Keane McCann. Um, she's done a lot of great work um, organising this, and I understand you may uh, be able to have her... Um, yes, she's coming on this, mo this Monday coming up. Fantastic. Um, yeah. I can also concern, I hope I uh, can confirm, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this on air, but uh, Michael Stanton, one of the speakers this Thursday, he'll also be available to speak on your show next uh, Monday. Oh, how so he, wonderful. So he can probably um, say some more intelligent things about the current legal situation um, than I have today. But, uh, I mean, he's got a really interesting background in terms of um, working in the law sort of day in, day out. So he has some really great insights in relation to um, how unusual the present situation is. But the defending protest discussion, that's on Friday the 11th of September. Uh, we have Dr Nicole Rogers, uh, Felicity Jerry, um, QC, who's another barrister who um, I suppose she wouldn't be mine wouldn't mind being described as an activist as well, but she's certainly um, on the board of Liberty Victoria. She's very active um, in terms of um, political issues. So that's um, a discussion, I suppose, about um, organising protests. One thing that's come up that's very interesting in the context of climate change and um, groups such as Extinction Rebellion is the possibility or viability of a necessity defence um, in relation to charges that people are facing so with the uh, Spring Rebellion, we saw lots of members of Extinction Rebellion being charged with fairly minor offences, obstructing roadways and things like that. And I understand that members of that group um, may well end up in the, in the court running what's described as a necessity defence, saying that that kind of action, um, shutting down roadways, making people aware of the ecological crisis is something that's necessary um, yes. to... The, to, I suppose, the continued existence of, of, of the community or humans on a, on a planet that supports them environmentally. Um, and so that's going to be a really fascinating discussion, um, particularly... Absolutely. For, yeah, Absolutely. Particularly yeah. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> onto the program, Tom. It's, it's been really great having you. Do you have any final comments um, that, no, that you want really. to make? No, not really. 
I just encourage anyone who's interested in uh, what the Melbourne Activist Legal Support um, Group do to seek us out online. They're certainly welcome to come along to a monthly meeting or there's a, a real wealth of um, resources on our website. Um, so I'd certainly encourage people to seek that out. And uh, the report on the public housing um, that was published on July 16th gives a really uh, clear and sort of independent account of, of what was seen there. And I haven't really seen that um, level of detail in any other account of of what yes. happened in terms of that hard lockdown. So I'd encourage people to have a look at that if they're interested in knowing what we do as a group. That's that's great. So just for listeners, for this Thursday, the 27th of August, from 1 till 2, um, and what's that first event entitled again? Uh, it's called uh, A Right to Protest. And a it's right a little-week panel. Yes. And um, we're featuring... Um, Michael Stanton, Maria O'Sullivan, and your earlier guest, uh, Chris Breen. Lovely. Thanks so much for your time, Tom, and I look forward to um, joining the event on Thursday and, um, and, and, and listening to, to what's going on. It's Wonderful. approximately 4.15... Sorry? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks so much. It's approximately 4.55, and you're listening to an interview with Tom Battersea. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. And you're back with the Doing Time show. It's approximately 4.56 We've got about a minute left of our show. Thanks so much to Tom and Chris for coming on and see if you can rock up to these online events um, on on Thursday the 27th of August and also the 11th of September. And stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the Doing Time show. And Beyond Zero is up next. We'll be going out with our theme song, Blackfella, Whitefella from the Rumpy Band. And stay tuned for this Monday in particular as we continue our discussion in regards to the right to protest and interviewing a number of lawyers. Thanks so much and take care, everybody. Stay safe. A true fella, as long as you are real fella.